This week's episode is brought to you by The Communitor. Visit fairygodmothertravel.com and click on special offers to check out the itinerary and get a quote on this incredible, once-in-a-lifetime, you-can't-miss opportunity. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And guess what, George? What? This is a very special episode. Do you want to know why? We're taking the training wheels off the show. We are. It's finally time. We're both old enough. We practice enough. And the training wheels are coming off because it is our 101st episode. Nice. 101st. And so we blew by the 100 episode without even mentioning it. We did, mostly because we both forgot. Well, that's our style, too. Yeah, of course. I mean, 101 is definitely an episode that we're more apt to. <laughs> so, Communicore Weekly has gone 101. 101, yes, exactly. This if is you don't the know what that means, episode. you don't have a cast member for a friend <laughs> at any point, anywhere like that. So, yeah, that's that's that should be the, uh, the, the headline of the episode. Communicore Weekly goes 101. 101. But yes, including all of the uh, in the hot seats and the .5 episodes and the special stuff, this is the 101st episode that we have produced, so thank you for listening to us babble for 101 episodes. That's a lot. That's impressive. It is impressive. impressive. I can't believe we can talk for that long. Well, I can. I just can't believe people want to listen to us for that long. Okay, that's probably the better thing to say. Yes. Yeah, well, that's okay. That's okay. Well, I guess we should talk about something equally as old as well. Yes, I think we should. Let's go to it. It's time for Disney History. In the mid-1970s, Walt Disney World was working to come out of one of the slumps that uh, kind of paralyzed the entire travel industry. And some of the various Phase 2 hotels that were scrapped and uh, new ideas were kind of brought to the table. So in line with Walt's vision for Epcot Center, Walt Disney World Management developed the, uh, the Lake Buena Vista Resort community that consisted of a large hotel and resort area, uh, a shopping village, and a business center. Now, the Disney Village, which is actually now part of the downtown Disney complex, it opened on March 22nd, 1975. And it was a mix of shops and eateries that seemed to go against the trend of all the boxy and uh, concrete shopping malls that were popular at that time. Yeah, because nobody likes boxy shopping malls. Nope, not even boxy no. brown. Ooh, nice. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. So, okay, well, in November of 1975, one of the major phase two developments uh, of Lake Buena Vista was a yet unnamed riverboat styled restaurant. Uh, construction was to begin in April of 1976, and it was supposed to take about 18 months. You know how that goes. Uh, the general description of the restaurant stayed fairly true to what was built. And Eyes and Ears, the cast member publication, offered an initial initial description, which is thus. The exterior will be heavily decorated in mahogany and brass. The stern paddle will turn as an additional show factor for guests strolling on the decks and dining in the restaurants. 
I don't think I've ever seen anybody stroll on the decks. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I've, I've never huh. seen that before. I don't even think I've seen that one, so, hmm. okay. Anyway, so the Baton Rouge was at uh, the, the bow of the deck and was designed to be the uh, the show bar. And the, the decor was turn-of-the-century Bourbon Street style with a mahogany bar, uh, wood plank floors, and stained glass. And at the stern of the main deck was a stakeout restaurant, which, of course, is delicious. Um, <laughs> it carried the same turn-of-the-century decor with the dominance of mahogany, burgundy colors, and uh, lead glass. And it offered the guests a view of the paddle wheel itself and the lagoon area. So the second, or promenade deck, featured a seafood restaurant at the bow and an elegant gourmet restaurant at the stern. It was decorated in Louis the XV motif. What does that mean, George? XV. 15th. Okay, good. Just make it sure you yeah. know your room. Louis 15, Louis Cans, something like that. Louis Cans. <laughs> Louis Cans. So, uh, so yeah, decorated in that, that King Louis motif. The, the gourmet restaurant contained a raised dome ceiling with a large chandelier, etched glass panels between the banquettes or boots, silk or damask wall coverings, depending on what you like to call them, sculpted wall moldings, and details of off-white and gold. Yeah, 1970s, definitely. Um, there was also an exclusive entry to this dining room from the dock via a gangplank, which actually was for the float boats. Interesting. A little bit different. A little bit different. Hmm. So... So on the third, or the Texas deck, as we like to call it, was a, <laughs> I, I don't know who likes to call it that. It's not I, me. I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah. Well. <laughs> I have no idea. Somebody calls it that. It's not me. I'm not a boat person, so I'm sorry. But on the Texas deck, there was actually a dining area that was kind of suitable for banquets and private parties, and there was also a lounge. And other elements of the boat included two waiting lounges and the quiet lounge, which was an intimate cocktail area. That means no kids allowed. <laughs> I meant you were really close together. Well, I mean, you, it's probably, it was probably, probably tiny was, as well. Probably was, so. Well, as, as the year went on, Disney occasionally updated the cast members on the construction of the riverboat, and by May of 1976, the riverboat was officially named the Empress Lily. The Edward Neselet Company of Fort Lauderdale was named the general contractor for construction, and the opening date was set for April 1977. Disney reminded cast members that although the Emperor's Lily is a building on a concrete base made to look like a boat, down to every last detail, they should still kind of keep up the illusion that it <laughs> is not a boat. I mean, that it is a boat. They wanted yes. people to believe it was a boat. Yes. So, it, in, in one of their guides for it, it said, So if somebody asks you about the sailing times or cruise destinations, please don't ruin the illusion by stating that the boat is on concrete and cannot move from her foundation. <laughs> Tell the guests that the Empress Lily is permanently moored at Lake Buena Vista, and that the size and depth of the lagoon, waterways, and etc. will not permit the boat to be sailed to the Magic Kingdom, Fort Wilderness, Buena Vista Club, and so on. That means they were lying to guests way back then. Well, yes, that's, I never... Th I never uh, okay, we, we don't want to say Disney lied. It's an illusion. It is a, this is an illusion, George. It's an illusion, Michael. Illusion. So, um, I just can't... Can we get to the Magic Kingdom from here? <laughs> <laughs> I want to take I that river cruise when I have that, that food and get to the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> but while I'm eating my steak dinner. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so so Disney um, also released... What, was, what accent was that that I just did? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know, but somebody needs to write in and tell us what that was. I, I offended someone with that, and I apologize, whoever you well, are. It wasn't your sophisticated accent. It was definitely not my sophisticated... That was my Taurus accent, I think. That's probably what it was. That's probably what let's, it was. Let's pretend it didn't happen. Let's go on. Okay, well, moving along, moving along. So, Okay, so Disney also released a series of articles uh, in their Eyes and Ears cast member publication that looked at the construction of the Empress Lily. And I think it's something that both of us are always surprised when we run across things like this because Disney now keeps everything so close to the vest. Or they try to, you know, until photos show up on Twitter. Um, so part of it is, you know, when they were building the riverboat, they created an earth dike to hold back the water and excavated a deep pit. And Disney also created a well point system that worked to keep the foundation dry by constantly pumping out the water from the, uh, the dike that they created. So the next step in that was to create the hull or the actual foundation of the building itself, which would have the sides of the boat rest on it, quote unquote rest on it. Um, <laughs> the eventual water level of the lake would rise above the foundation and the bottom of the boat uh, that's on the foundation would be under the lake level. So the earth dike was removed after the construction. It's really confusing to build a fake boat to look like a real boat on real yeah. water. Because of how they had to build it, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. But that's why we're not engineers. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, one thing that I never thought about, you know, the various times I've enjoyed watercraft while applying the waters of Lake Buena Vista Lagoon, you know, one of my favorite things is to ply the waters. Love it. Love it. Love it. I have um, never heard you use that phrase before in my life. So I am venturing never? to say that you're lying about that, but go on. Well, yeah, I, I don't swim very well. <laughs> that's why you're in the watercraft. That's why I'm in the watercraft. Anyway, so, you know, one of the things is I was, I, I never thought about running into the paddle wheel of the Empress Lily, you know, when they still had it running. Well, Disney even thought this might have been a problem. And I think well before any Disney lawyer told them this, they used a dolphin to address the issue of guests getting too close to the wheel while trying to take photos while they were boating. No, not that they hired Flipper to patrol the waters or anything. Um, <laughs> dolphin is actually a marker in the water that has several uh, pilings to support it. And in this case, it was kind of tied to the show and the boat with the buoy line. So it must have done its job since we didn't see a lot of watercraft getting sucked into the paddle wheel like uh, Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. But yeah, it'd be interesting if Disney added that since they they own <laughs> Lucasfilm now. If they it's somehow added of, that into the movie. part of the show. Hmm, interesting. This is, limit, this is limited time magic. Limited, limited time magic. Limited time magic. We're Run gonna, into the paddle wheel. Run into the paddle wheel. So, okay. Well, everyone, of course, everyone knows that the paddle wheel and the smokestacks were removed when uh, Levy Restaurants leased the boat from Disney, and they changed the restaurant to Fulton's Crab House. So the Empress Lily originally opened on May 1st, 1976, and Walt Disney's widow, Lillian Disney, was on hand to christen the riverboat, which is, of course, named after her. Uh, the last meal was served on April 22nd, 1995. And at that point, Levy Restaurants ripped out the interiors and the furnishings and opened Fulton's Crab House on March 10th, 1996. And sort of a a goat within the history segment that we're doing again, we've run across a couple things in researching this as to the name Fulton. And some people think it's a reference to Fulton Burley, from the Golden Horseshoe Review, and he also played Michael in the Tiki Room, whereas uh, another idea, which sounds credible as well, is that it was from Robert Fulton, who created the first commercially viable steamship. So I guess this is a call out to all the communal cadets. If you have any thoughts or ideas, you know, post them on our Facebook page or 
Email us at communicorweekly@gmail.com and tell us what you think. He's a nerd. He's a, nerd. He's a geek. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's book of the week. Okay, so this week's book is called Florida Theme Parks: A Guide by Alex Miller. And for those guys who don't know who Alex Miller is, he is an Imagineer. With, of course, you know Walt Disney. I don't know what other companies have Imagineers, but uh, this is a book that was just released this past year, and it's 160 pages. And Alex contacted us and asked if we'd like to review it for the show and everything. We said, sure, we'll be happy to. Um, basically, Alex has created a guidebook to all of Florida, well, I guess a majority of Florida theme parks, and it's a little bit different. It's not quite like the unofficial guide or the official uh, the official guide to Walt Disney World where it's just packed with which hotel to stay at, which restaurant to eat at. Basically, Alex has gone all over Florida and dedicated uh, two to three pages to each theme park. And some of them are, of course, you know, the Universal Parks and the Disney World Parks are covered in there. But then you've got some really fantastic things like little family fun parks or uh, pier parks different things that are more historical Sam's Fun City was one that just popped up um, he doesn't go into a lot of detail with the books or with that he's got like I said a few pages dedicated to each park so to speak with some text talking a little bit about the history of the park a few fantastic photographs I have to admit the photographs are really well done in the book very colorful very nice um, it's just a great book for somebody who you know, really lives in Florida and maybe wants to investigate some other theme parks throughout the state. Or if you're traveling and you've been, you know, in the Orlando area, you know, half a million times and you want to explore, try some different things. I, I really like the fact that he covered so many different parks throughout the state. You know, he really did a great job with it. Really did. Yeah, um, I, I agree if I can jump in for a second. Yeah, I was going to say, you might as well because otherwise I'm just going to say, Buy it. You like it. So. <laughs> I kind of like how, you know, obviously, like George said, he, he covers the Disney theme parks and the Universal theme parks, but he saved those for last. Uh, and, and to yeah. me, I think that's better. He kind of showcases the other parks uh, for, f to begin with to give them more of a spotlight, I think. And that works out really well because there's a couple of parks I, you know, I didn't know about before or know too much about. Like, uh, he talks about uh, Fun Spot USA and Fun Spot America. I've heard mm -hmm. of them before, didn't know too much about them. And I, I found the, the little history that he gave about them was pretty interesting. Um, stuff like Silver Springs and uh, the Zoomers oh, yeah. Amusement Park. It, mm -hmm. It's just, you know, we're so used to going to Florida and going to the theme parks that we are used to going to all the time. So it's interesting to hear about these other theme parks that exist all throughout the state and you know may provide a welcome break to people who drive into disney or who live in florida and want to check out some of the other parks and i think alex has a really good job of explaining you know a little bit about their history what they have to offer and kind of selling these theme parks to people in a way yeah uh, something that alex did that sort of struck out uh, stuck out to me i guess struck out as well was he sort of talks a little bit about the importance of each one of the parks and the overall history of the theme park industry in Florida or tourism or the amusement park. You know, because, you know, Silver Springs was one of the first ones. I guess it was like the late 1800s. That's the one with the glass bottom boats. Yeah. And it's sort of like the first uh, park in Florida and sort of opened it. And one of the things I loved about the book is once you get towards the last few pages, and I'm flipping through right now so I can get to it. Uh, he did a timeline, which starts off, yeah, 1878 with uh, 
Hullum Jones invents the glass bottom boat at Silver Springs and basically goes through two pages and ends up at uh, like Legoland in Harry Potter Universal. So it gives you a really concise history of the Florida uh, amusement parks and theme parks throughout the years, which I enjoyed. Yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed the book. It was a nice little look at the other theme parks, and I think the next time I, I drive to Florida or you know have a, a car of my own when I'm there, I might check some of them out. So say, that's going to be a long drive. It's going to be a long drive, but it'll be a nice little, I don't know, road trip, I guess? It could be. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it for the history and the look at all the other theme parks and amusement areas that I haven't visited before. So I think most of the Orlando-based fans and Florida-based fans are really going to enjoy this title. I'm going to pick it up, and it is called Florida Theme Parks, A Guide by Alex Miller. Sometimes it's a one, sometimes it's a two. When you gotta go, what you gonna do? It's a bathroom break. A bathroom break. So while you're, you know, you're spending a full day at your favorite theme park, uh, <laughs> at the, the, the Animal Kingdom, because, you know, it's a full day park. You know, there's a parts where you can get on a train. I don't know if some of you guys know this because you don't do it correctly, but there's actually a train in Animal Kingdom that takes you to the conservation station. Did you guys know that? Mm-hmm. George, you knew I've that, been, right? I've been on that train a couple times. Okay, just making sure. Making sure you're checking the whole thing out and doing it right. Yes. Anyway, so there are bathrooms in the conservation station, and they are <laughs> awesome. And they're also awesome. I mean, they look really nice. They have some nice tiles. There's some animals in some of the tiles. But when you wash your hands above the mirrors uh, above the sink there are a little thing called the whiz quiz now <laughs> if you're calling it the whiz quiz i would have put it somewhere else however they put it above the mirrors above the sink which fine i'll go with but there are little facts about animals such as how much do elephants pee each day <gasps> george do you mm. know wow I, I would guess a lot it, it is a lot it would be 20 gallons a day 20 gallons? That's a lot. They also have another quiz that says, How far can rhinos and tappers pee? How far? How far? I'm guessing at least a foot. At least 15 feet. At least 15. So not only can you go to the restroom, but you can also learn some fun facts about animals, which, now that I'm thinking about it, somebody had to get a ruler to figure some of these answers out <laughs> or lots of buckets or lots of buckets lots that's of buckets. kind of weird now that i think about it anyway okay. so the next time you're in the uh conservation station area you can take a whiz quiz yes have fun sometimes you might see it sometimes you don't hey look what's that it's a five-legged goat so when you're walking around New Orleans Square in Disneyland, you may have noticed some plaques hanging above some of the buildings. This is actually the Disneyland version of a traditional fire insurance plaque that was popular in the 1700s and the 1800s. Yeah, so homes that uh, having had paid their insurance premiums would display this plaque on an exterior wall so the fire department would know just which buildings to save first in the event of an emergency. Um, similar plaques can also be found in Liberty Square at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. That'd be a shame if one of the fire departments was faster than the other one, but that fast one is not the one that you paid for. Yeah, yeah, so or what if the save plaque else burnt first? So, uh, and they didn't know they were supposed to put your, you know, house out. This is why we only have regular fire departments now. We don't have to pay <laughs> for that service because that would be nothing but a nightmare. <laughs> You should have put my house out first. I swear. I lost so, all my stuff. 
Well, as long as I guess I was going to print some plaques for the Communicore Weekly Studios. Oh, that's good. So that'll, since we've that'll got save the, us. yeah, since we've got Communicore East and Communicore West now at this point in time. Yes, 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 yes. Basically, basically. So, <laughs> well, that's so good. So, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening. Yeah, be sure to leave us a comment or rate us on iTunes. Yeah, we love the ratings because it helps other people find us. Tells them how cool we really are. So yes. um, always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com with any questions, comments, concerns, or your thoughts on fire safety. Um, and yeah, mostly fire safety because yes, only mostly. you can prevent uh, forest fires and Ooh. house fires. Or Communicore Weekly Fires. Or Communicore Weekly Fires. Yes, yes. But that just means we're on fire. That means if we're on fire, we are, like not we physically. We are on but fire. Exactly, exactly. It's getting complicated. It anyway, is. like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Weekly. Yep. Follow us uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. So it's the same usernames for both services. Hey. All Keep right. It Keep it easy. You can also leave us a voicemail on the Communicore Weekly hotline at 424-785-GOAT. I think some people think we're joking about this. We're no, not joking. Real. You can actually call the number and leave us a voicemail. We are yeah. saving them for a listener a mailbag show at some point. Mm-hmm. But yeah. call the number, 424-785-4628. And no one has called up yet and went, bah! Which, Which is surprising. surprising. You would have think that somebody had done that before. Yeah, I'm not going to call out any of our Kingdom Cast friends. Um, so, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Level 82.